Hey everyone, it's great to see you again this morning. Um, well, you see me, or however weird that sounds. It's great to be together. I think this is week five of coming to you this way. Um, we, uh, we continue to miss you, but we're pleased to um, be able to come to you this way. I want to say also thanks to Andrew and Matt, who are doing the filament and the sound as we speak. You can't see them, but I can, so why don't you give them round of applause in your house, no matter how weird that might seem or sound. Also, shout out to Tristan Weir for his uh, intrepid and entertaining way that he rose to the challenge and told us all that he was missing everyone in Emmanuel um, over the last week or two. Um, it was great to be together, some of us on Zoom on Friday night as a church family, and just sense that, um, that, that feeling of identity as a family as well. Um, hopefully that was a blessing. But if you're not part of our church, as Debbie has said earlier, we really want to invite you into what we're doing this morning. And hopefully you've had a nice Easter, enjoyed some of the weather, and you'll be blessed by being here with you. I also want to say as much as we appreciate the technology that's able to bring us to you and to bring something of hopefully the Word of God and of encouragement to you. As we now know, uh, entering another at least three weeks of lockdown, I just really want to take a moment to encourage us um, to not allow ourselves to simply slip into a kind of consumer Christianity where we sort of lazily um, wait for our next installment of church to come each week. But I'm speaking to my own heart here as well. I want to encourage us to lean into the Lord together, to stick to the process of what God's doing in our hearts, to allow ourselves to be um, changed, to reflect on what the Holy Spirit might be doing within us, and where we can to be involved in mission and reaching out to others. Since the start of this pandemic and the effects of it on our lives, we said we wanted to respond both practically and prophetically. And I just want to take a, a, mo take a moment to remind us of, of that, um, because the novelty of lockdown is kind of wearing off, isn't it? Um, and so through our study of John, I just want to remind us of the postures that we want to have in the midst of this and to orientate us this morning. So I'm going to do that by way of recap just quickly before we push on this morning. Remember in John chapter 6, Jesus at this point in the Gospel of John has quite a following, his captivating teaching, his miracles, his love for the poor has um, garnered a crowd and they're following Jesus. And this culminates in the feeding of the 5,000. This was a very practical moment where Jesus met the needs of the people because he had compassion on them, meeting a physical problem. And we have a physical, practical problem around us in these days. And we were encouraged by the fact that while Jesus was telling Philip or asking Philip to think about how they were going to feed everyone, we were encouraged by that line that says he already knew what he was going to do. And uh, we believe God hasn't been taken by surprise by the coronavirus and that he knows what he's doing in the midst of it. But he equally invites us, like he did with the disciples, to co-partner with him in feeding and helping the poor, the hungry, the broken, and so forth. And we want to continue to do that, practically respond in different ways, both corporately as a church and individually as we reach out to our neighbors and stay in touch with people 
and uh, feed the hungry and so forth. But as well as that, practically, we also wanted to respond prophetically um, in the sense that we want to use this time to allow Jesus to do in us what he wants to do, to refine us and change us. And we learned that after Jesus fed the 5,000, there was this crossing over from the disciples and the crowds to the other side of the lake where they have a conversation with Jesus. And here Jesus makes very plain and very clear the cost of what it is to follow him. There is a sifting going on at this point where the fans get separated from the followers, where the remnant of people being prepared to count the cost of following Jesus become more distinct than those who simply just following for what he can do for them, for the miracles. And ultimately, many refuse Jesus' invitation to freely give their love um, a loving allegiance to him in the same way as he wants to give his to them. And I suppose like we see in John, we have been sensing that there's a seasoning of sifting going on here. And what if the Lord is using this situation to do refining work amongst us where a remnant of people across the earth are being prepared for a big thing that the Spirit wants to do in our lifetime? Uh, It is a really interesting time, and I just want us to draw attention to this before we push further in and and recapping here for a very specific reason. If you look at the history of revivals like we have been doing over the last year, you will notice that many of the preconditions of revival throughout the years have been happening. We've been sensing, we've been teaching about this prior to the circumstances that we currently find ourselves in. There's been holy discontent. There's been a desire and desperation to see God do something in the church. There's been a stirring up of prayer, more prayer happening around the earth than there's probably ever been. There's been beautiful forms of unity. There's been a contending for the central truths of the Word of God, which are under attack. There's been all of those things, nearly all of the preconditions for seeing awakening and revival have been around, and we've been trying to discern that. The one thing that was potentially, we could say, missing was a crisis, There's usually always a crisis of some description before there's a significant awakening and moving of the Spirit of God. And now we find ourselves in a crisis. We find ourselves in a desperate place. And so we have to ask ourselves, what could and is the Spirit doing in the midst of this? And so the question that I just want to continue to ask us is, how can our isolation become the place for God's consecration? How can our isolation become the place of consecration? How can we do a kind of jiu-jitsu move on the enemy where we redeem what was meant for evil for good? And ultimately, the process of consecration has its end goal in Jesus. And this is what I want us to think about today. In John 7, a couple of weeks ago, when we looked at this, we were challenged to lay down our pride, our desire to be noticed, our fleshly longings to be... um, to, to, to be the hero or to be the one that everyone looks to. And we saw in John chapter 7, even though Jesus at the festival of the tabernacles was encouraged by his brothers to go up to the temple, Jesus doesn't. He won't show himself to the world in that way. Rather, we see a humble Jesus, not trying to win a crowd to make a name for himself, but rather we see a Jesus who is passionately appealing to the people as he is obedient to the Father because that's his end goal. We see him appealing to the people, if you want something to drink that's going to quench your thirsty souls, then rivers of living water are available. We looked at the scripture, which I want to lead on into this week, 
on the last and greatest day of the festival, John 7, verse 37, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus is offering people in these moments a new form of life in the Spirit, flowing up from within them, it will satisfy them like nothing else can, bringing forgiveness and wholeness. This is the authentic and genuine Spirit-filled life. And maybe just maybe people, maybe just maybe church family, maybe just maybe whoever you are, wherever you are listening, maybe God is longing for us when the other sources of our life and our identity have been dried up He's looking us to draw from a deeper well in these days in which we're living in. The reality is some of us are going to get bored soon of probably online church. The reality is some of us are going to start looking potentially to other things to satisfy us, even in these days. You know, the thing about it is you could come out of these weeks with, you know, your new fitness regime looking as good as you've ever looked. You know, you could come out of this being the kind of best person to have at a dinner party because you've watched every Netflix series there is on TV and you've kind of, you, you, you know it all. You're that person that everybody wants to get in touch with to go, what's the next box set to watch? And I'm, I'm not saying any of those things are bad in themselves, but I'm just wondering in my own heart, and I'm just speaking to my own heart when I say and encourage you today, I want to encourage us as a community to harness ourselves to Jesus and allow the Spirit to bring us into a place where we're being changed and transformed so that we can shine brighter than we ever have for Jesus in the days ahead. And I want to pick up on this scripture again this morning, rivers of living water, the source of life itself that can satisfy us in only the ways that the Spirit can before we move into John 8. Now, I really wanted to preach in John 8 this morning. In fact, I had notes and everything prepared for it, and I felt just prior to coming here today that the Holy Spirit just tweaked the talk, and uh, which is very inconvenient of the Lord, to be honest, but I think he wants to speak to us, okay? And I want to I talk about this because we see a theme here that's going to continue through John's gospel, and I think a theme for us that we need to take notice of, and it's about this idea of the river of God. And in John chapter 7, um, where, where we've just left off, Jesus is talking about this river, but he also talked about it in John chapter 4 um, with the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman, where he offered her life uh, through the water that she would drink that would not leave her thirsty anymore. And this metaphor of God's presence flowing like a river of life is built on the theme uh, that the Old Testament prophets carried, um, which was God's presence flowing like a river. And in Ezekiel chapter 47, there was this powerful prophetic picture given to Ezekiel. And he's the main one that this powerful metaphor of God's presence like a river comes to. And the vision was given to Ezekiel in a time of exile, when the children of Israel were not in their land, when there was no temple, when they thought they might never get home, where they were disorientated about the future and whether or not who they really were. And there was a crisis. They're in a crisis of faith here. There's that idea of crisis again. And it's into this time of uncertainty and the unknown that Ezekiel, a prophet, receives a vision from the Lord and a man, an angel of the Lord, showing him a beautiful and powerful picture of the river of God flowing out of a temple. Uh, and this is what it says in Ezekiel chapter 47. Let me read this to you briefly. 
The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east. The water was coming down from the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Here then, he then brought me out the north gate and led me around the outside of the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cupids, and then he led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, in a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees each side of the river. He said to me, the water flows towards the eastern region and goes down to the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures live wherever the river flows. There will be a large number of fish because this water flows there and makes salt water fresh so the river so where the river flows, everything will live. This is a picture of water, a river, starting to move out of a temple, trickling initially over the threshold of the temple, almost even imperceptible at the start. But as the vision develops, the thing about this picture that is fascinating and so counterintuitive to our natural senses is the further the river goes from the source, the deeper the water gets. The river gets deeper the further it moves from the temple. He goes about 500 meters and the water moves to his ankles. And then he goes another 500 meters and the water goes to his knees. And then he goes another 500 meters, and the water goes up to his waist. And before he knows it, we're told, when he goes a further 500 meters, he can't cross it anymore. The only way to enter or to get across this river is to swim in it. And then we're told the river flows to the Dead Sea, and the banks of the river are filled with life. When it empties into the sea, the salty water, we're told, there becomes fresh. And where the river flows, everything will live. It goes on to say, fruit trees of all kinds grow on both banks of the river. And their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. It's life-giving and flourishing, this river. It's an incredible scene. And in the middle of it, the angel says, the man says to Ezekiel, Son of man, do you see this? In other words, do you notice something? There's something here you need to take note of that's happening. And I feel like this morning the Lord wants us to take note of two things particularly. Two things which are counterintuitive to our natural instincts, to the natural way things work, to even the way our minds are conditioned in the world in which we live. Two things that are important for us to hear in a time where it feels of exile, of dryness, of leanness, of uncertainty and unknown, just like Ezekiel when he heard these words. And the first thing is this, which I've already said, but I want to really make this a clear point today. The further you go into the river, the deeper it gets. It's been brilliant weather this week. We've had a few water fights, and um, we've had to turn the taps on outside quite a bit. And I don't know if you notice, but if you turn a tap on outside, the source of the water, it's most... Uh, 
most of the volume of the water is at the source, obviously. And, uh, and then as the water trickles down the drive where, or wherever, it gets, uh, it gets less and less and diminishes. Yeah. But this river is the opposite. The further it flows from the source, the deeper it gets. And in the presence of God, the further we go in, the deeper the water gets. We are conditioned the other way. And so there's a mindset shift that needs to happen. And I feel like the Lord wants to test us in this intense kind of season that we're living in. There's a tsunami of information coming our way every day, isn't there? About the times that we're now living in. Empty shelves, leanness, poverty. We're about to live through, we're being told, the worst recession in our history. It's very real. It's not nice. Some of us may lose our jobs. Some of us are already noticing our pay packets going down. Some of us are going to have to lay some people off. It's horrible. It's not nice. And it's important that we can be real and honest about those times. And yet, as the people of God, I believe we're being called at this time to go deeper, to go further in where there is no lack, there is only abundance. We're being called to stir our spirits in these days to trust the current of the river of God, which flows in the opposite direction of the way the world thinks. Uh, the river that flows towards an abundance and an ocean of the goodness of God. And so Jesus is inviting us in this season to drink from a deeper well, to draw from a deeper source. When I was 18 uh, and 17, I just really encountered the love of God and the filling of the Holy Spirit, and He captivated my heart in such a life-transforming way. And I, I really wanted to go away and find God for myself. And as much as it killed me in my heart to, to leave home, I just uh, I, I knew God was calling me to do this. And I thought I knew God pretty well at that time, and this would be just this wonderful, beautiful experience of getting to know Him more. And I went and lived in South Africa in a street kid's shelter for 10 months. I'd hardly ever been away from home that much before. Complete culture shock. The only white person living in this um, uh, 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 in this home for street kids. And they were the most beautiful people who loved me and had a wonderful time in many ways, but it was so tough in many others because what I realized was that all the other things that I had identity in at this point in my life, my friends, my family, my church, my football, um, just the patterns of life that I had here, many of those good things but when they weren't there for me anymore, I realized that the source of even how I knew God was through them and not through God alone. And so I had to draw from a deeper source. I had to get to know God in a new way when all the other sources of life had dried up because they weren't there in my life anymore. And I wonder if this time that we're living through is an opportunity for us to draw from a deeper source. There is a provision for us in this time, beyond our natural resources. And I want to encourage you to think about it. I want you to hear this morning, there is no lack in God in this season. There is nothing lacking in God in this season. And this is a theme in the Gospel of John. It's hyperabundance. It's water in the wine and barrels left over. It's, it's, it's uh, feeding 5,000 from five loaves and two fish and 12 baskets left over. It's in the midst of our apparent lack, God's provision is there. The further in we go, the deeper it gets. But the thing about it is, in order to really experience that, you have to trust. You have to relinquish control. You have to stop standing on the riverbanks just looking in. You have to get in. 
And maybe for some of us, we have been in, but we've only been in ankle deep and we've been splish splashing around in control of how often we want to go into the river or not. And maybe there is a moment here where the Holy Spirit is saying, would you trust the current of my river? Would you let me take your feet off the ground? And would you allow me to flow in and through you to bring you to the places where I want to bring you? Once your feet are off the ground, you're not as much in control. But this is the river of God, and his love can be trusted. So will you let him this morning? The second thing, equally as counterintuitive, equally as kind of head-wracking, is that wherever this river goes, it brings life. This river flowed into the Dead Sea, we're told. Now, the Dead Sea was called the Dead Sea. No, no, no prizes for guessing why. Because it was dead. Okay, It's the deadest sea in the world. It's dead because it's one of the lowest spots below sea, sea level. Excuse me, It's 1,400 feet below sea level. And so every other mineral in the surrounding banks and hillsides flow into the Dead Sea. And so it's dense, heavy with minerals, which is why you can just float in it if you've been there. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. See, it's one of the most unusual places on earth. And so this picture would have been fascinating for the Palestinian-Israeli mindset because of a river flowing into the Dead Sea, not being contaminated by the salty minerals of that uh, sea, but rather the opposite. Rather than the sea heavy with minerals where nothing lives because nothing can live there because it would just like be die in the midst of the density of the minerals, rather, rather than the, the, the sea kill the, the river, the river infuses the Dead Sea with life, bringing transformation and bringing flourishing. It says fish of all sorts are going to be in the sea. And so the thing about the river is that the death of this sea, the deadness of this sea does not contaminate the river. The river infuses the sea with Life. This would have been such an unusual but beautiful, prophetic, hopeful picture for the children of Israel in a time of crisis and in a time of exile. And I believe that this picture is an encouragement for us in this time of uncertainty that we're living through, that the river of God wants to flow into the dead and broken places of our heart and infuse them with life. The enemy intimidates you and me with anxiety, with um, accusation, with isolation and the fear tries to creep all over our body and through our senses and yet the river of God pushes back against that and reverses the flow because the deadness doesn't contaminate the life. The life transforms the deadness and this is what we long for. And so when Jesus is saying this in John chapter 7, he's building on this theme uh, that would have been prevalent in the Israelite consciousness, this idea of the river of God. And now he's saying don't be looking for an actual temple, an actual physical temple where this water is going to flow from. Here is the embodiment of the temple. I am the son of the Father. Come with the good news that now the river of God is flowing in and through my life. This is the good news. He is the living temple. The presence of God now in a person flowing, flowing beautifully for all 
people. The temple was the place where heaven and earth met. Heaven and earth met. There was like an overlap and an interlocking dynamic about the tabernacle where one world was breaking into the other, like a holy marriage was happening between heaven and earth. And now Jesus is here as the locus of God's presence on the earth, embodied in a person, initiating something new, saying, if you want to drink, now rivers of living water are flowing. We've just remember Easter. Debbie took us through there again at communion and reminded us. And we remember at Easter when Jesus died, the temple curtain was rent in two from top to bottom, not just to let the presence of God, not just to let us into the presence of God, but to let the presence of God out, the river flowing out of the temple out of the temple, the temple, the, the veil has been rent in two, and now the river of God is flowing out because of what Jesus has done for us. And as it flows, it gets deeper and deeper. The good news is the presence of God is not quarantined. The presence of God is not under lockdown. The presence of God is flowing out of the holy place. And the further you go into it, the deeper it gets. And it's going not to the church. It's going through the church to all the broken dead places in our lives and into our communities with life-giving, transformative power. And so John ends in chapter 7 telling us that out of our innermost being, this river can flow, and that there's an overflow dynamic to it into the lives of others. It's so important for us to understand this this morning before we move on in this gospel. And I want us to realize this because it messes with our head a little bit. The river doesn't necessarily flow in the ways that we think it should flow. It flows to the dead and broken places. It can upset our normal way of thinking. It certainly upset the Pharisees and the religious of the day's way of thinking. And we're going to start to realize that the way Jesus thinks of holiness is different than the way we often think of holiness And I think that's a crucial thing that we need to learn in these days because already we see many Christians talking about judgment and talking about holiness in a way that concerns me because it's built around fear of what we're not supposed to do, fear of being contaminated by the world. The focus of holiness in this way is built around what we shouldn't do and what we can't do rather than what the presence of God can do. And at times, we need to become more and more aware of what it went like for Jesus. In the same way that certain things you tell a child not to do, because at that particular point in life, that's the right thing to do. But the reality is, you want them to grow up and become aware of who they are, and become empowered about their own identity, to make out of a positive place a contribution to the world and to others. And Jesus shows us with the people that he will dine with in the chapters coming up and the people that he hangs out with that he trusts the presence of God in his life not to be contaminated with the world, but rather that the world will be contaminated with his life, that the river will infect the dead. The doctor is not overcome by the illness the doctor overcomes the illness. Jesus never disregards the law. Jesus will never turn a blind eye to sin. In fact, he'll call people to repent, but he will not allow us to become the executors of judgment. 
of others, particularly when we use the law to do that. Rather, he will challenge and confront those systems to show how absurd our interpretations of the law really are. Jesus will be prepared to cut across the holiness codes of the day where insiders and outsiders have been created. He will cut across the religion of the day to challenge and to reveal the tender womb of the Father wants to touch the brokenness of the world and embrace it with his love and power, the power of his presence to heal, to forgive, and to begin a work of freedom. Holiness for Jesus was not a negative excluding force, but a positive including force. His holiness he saw as a contagious thing, not something that he needed to hide. Love does not compete with holiness. Love is the essence of holiness. And so the good news today is the healing power of Jesus is not quarantined. It's not under lockdown. The river of God is flowing to the broken parts of our lives. And so in the midst of our time of consecration and isolation. I want to encourage you that Jesus isn't looking you to do some kind of external performance of changing a few things for the sake of it. He wants you to experience the river of his presence flowing into your home. It's not under lockdown. Right now, it can flow into your heart and flow into your room and flow into the deep and the broken places of your heart to bring healing a holiness that touches the broken parts of our lives in the love of the Father to change and transform us from the inside out. And I want you to know this for two reasons as I finish. I want you to know that yourself, and I want, you to, I want you to know it because I want us to be this type of church. And as we come through this unique season that we're living through, I don't want us to allow holiness to be co-opted by a religious spirit where people feel they have to be something that they can't be or measure up to something that they're not, but to come as they are. And in this season, if we as a body would be taken up in the current of the river of God, who knows where we might flow to? Who knows what broken, dead places that Jesus might, sh- that might, might flow us to were fish of every description get to hear the good news and flourish in his presence. That's our desire as individuals. I know that's yours. That's my desire for us as a church, that we would flow in the river of God's spirit and his presence would bring life wherever the river flows. And so Holy Spirit, in these moments, I just pray that there would be a sense right now in our hearts, rivers of living water, flowing from within us. Lord, we surrender to your river flowing. We surrender to the current of your spirit, God, that river of the presence of God flowing through our lives. We imagine our feet being taken off the ground and flowing with you, trusting you with our lives, that you will take us deeper and deeper the further we go in. And Lord, we trust that where you're going and where this river flows, it will bring life. And so, Lord, in the dead and broken places of our life, just just touch them now with your presence of God. And Lord, in these times where you're consecrating us, may we as a church and as a church family, may we be be caught up to flow to and be brought to the dead and broken places of our community 
where you want to bring your life. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.